Welcome back to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. In today's episode, we're going to a Q&A from a little while back. And in this Q&A, we are talking a bit about how do I pick a rhythm section? Uh, how is improvisation tied to memory? Or is it actually just pure creativity? We'll dig into that and some top tens, top 10 groups in jazz uh, that I enjoy listening to. And I hope you will enjoy listening to. As always, thanks for being here to listen to the podcast and enjoy this episode. I'm going to get out of here and let you uh, listen to this Q&A. So we'll see you next time. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the channel. Today, we had a great Q&A Friday, March the 12th, uh, talking a lot about the how of music, the teaching philosophies I have, how my teaching philosophy has changed. I talked a little bit about UNT, talking about transfer students, talking about uh, what to do if you don't get into the school of your dreams, uh, how to move forward with that. And uh, yeah, just kind of a lot of philosophical talk about teaching and philosophy and learning ideas. And uh, even my parents both dropped by uh, during this week's episode. So uh, I hope you have an amazing week. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out the stream. Thanks for going down below to uh, click like and subscribe and then finding all the questions in the description box so you can click to the time code to uh, hear the answers that you want to hear. So thanks for being here as always and uh, we will catch you in the next video. A couple things that you should know about coming up is that registration is open for the Jazz Trombone Boot Camp uh, if you're interested in attending that. Uh, we do only have limited spots and we do have some scholarships this year if you want to attend. Uh, you can go nickfinzer.store and you can find those. Uh, registration links for the boot camp. Um, that's going to be June 14th through June 18th, and we are having some really great guests like Andre Hayward, Vincent Gardner, Michael Davis, Steve Davis, uh, some really great guest artists, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we have uh, two really great TAs um, on staff with us. It's going to be Jack Courtright, our current UNT TA, TF, DJ Rice, who was on, uh, did the camp last year, and he's going to do it again this year. And he uh, formerly was a TA at Michigan State with Michael Deese. So that should be a lot of fun. Again, it's June 14 through June 18. Uh, so hopefully you can join us for that. Today was a, was a couple singles, a couple albums out on Outside in Music. If you're keeping up with that side of things, you'd like to check out new music. Uh, Philippe Lem's Trio, a great drummer in New York. He uh, released a, a new single today, Khalif. And it's up on the State of Jazz playlist, which is really good uh to um share the love share the music so uh you can check that out on the outside in music instagram but uh also out today is a record from a canadian singer named laura Solnicki. and so we're we're moving right along man uh lots of lots of new music lots of great music coming out this spring so excited about that if you're interested in new music what are some things that you look for when choosing players for a rhythm section a few things flexibility professionalism, ability to read the charts, injection of their personality. Because I don't really want someone that's just going to kind of come and try to quote unquote do the job. I want somebody that's going to go and invest their personality into the music. I want somebody that's going to really put their own thing on the music. Like I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what I thought it should be. I like to hear perspective. You know, I like to hear the band put their own thing on it. I like my band to sound different when there's a different drummer. I don't want it to sound like the same band when it's a different people um, some people want like to be executed kind of like the same way um, when they get a sub in the band or like they put a new band together but I want each band to kind of have its own sound and vibe and even once one person changes I want to just kind of lean into that so for me it's important for that chair whether it's the, I'm saying talking drum chair because Nick is a drummer taking ownership of the music and is really making sure that they're injecting their thing on the music like yes you have to play the figures you have to set up the sections 
you know, all the stuff that's musically required to, you know, be uh, a good, quote unquote, good drummer. Uh, and obviously that the time needs to move forward and all that. But put your personality into it. That's the number one thing. Not afraid to do that. But the second of all is having that forward momentum in your time. In a drummer specifically, I look for in that ride symbol, that New York kind of on top of the beat kind of thing. Not rushing, but on top of the beat, you know. And I think that a lot of people do have that. But some people don't. And so I'm not a big fan of dragging you know with my band like the drum the people have to be able to play fast and not complain about it and uh, be open to the whole history of jazz uh i because you know i try to draw from different elements i mean pretty much my music is straight ahead but like if there's time signatures if there's odd forms if there it all kind of has to be there uh for me um it's kind of maybe it's different for bass and piano a little bit like with piano the person has to be a really great accompanist in addition to a great soloist there's a lot of great soloists that maybe aren't great accompanists so that's something that i look for they can also read you know for me the reading is like a big part as well um because i write a lot of notes sometimes and getting it right the first time is important to me because there's never time to rehearse so uh, someone that can get in there Make it happen the first time is important to me. And yeah, and just, again, putting their personality on it. If, if Glenn is available, obviously Glenn has like been in my group for a while, Glenn Zaleski. But then if he's not, I don't want to hear, you know, somebody try to sound like Glenn. I want somebody to just do their thing and interpret the chords, interpret their role in a new way. So I think that's true of a lot of people, most people. I think that's true of most of the band leaders that I've like looked up to in my life and kind of like, yeah, you're not like trying to play you're trying to, yes, play the role that you need to play, but you also need to inject it with your thing. Like, why you? You know, like, why Why should they keep you around kind of thing? Why should they uh, have you have you there? For me, a bass player, their time has to lock in really well. They have to be able to read, and they have to have that forward momentum on the on the, on the the beat, you know? They got to be able to swing and play open. You know, that's, that's the two requirements for me. You got to be able to swing, really swing, but also have to be able to play open. And preferably, in my book, like, they should also be able to play free, you know? We don't always play free, but sometimes I just want to play free. And if we say, all right, well, we'll just, just play free. And, you know, it has to be for everyone that I hire, like it has to be, you got to have that conception of playing free within the construct. So the charts are just guide, you know, a guide to how to make the music. You got to play free. You got to be able to play free a little bit. You got to be able to improvise. You got to be able to blur the lines between what's written and what's not written. What recommendations would you have for a trombonist graduating with a music ed degree? Because there's kind of d different thoughts. My thought is if you're graduating with a graduating with a music ed degree is to not discount the fact that you need to be a great player as best of a player as you can be i find often uh by, by great i also mean well-rounded and like aware of a lot of things because as an educator you're going to be constantly thrown in situations where maybe you aren't comfortable and to make sure that while you're in school you get the greatest experience you can by like learning different styles like play trombone in any style play because uh, you're obviously going to learn the other instruments but you have to really learn how to talk about the how of music and the why of music rather than just being like this is an a this is how you finger this this is sixth position like that's one part of it but the part that you know is missing is that why part so that would be my, a general recommendation so then this implies even more like if you're gonna eventually go for a degree in performance in grad school then you need to 
set yourself up for that. Set yourself up for success as a performance major by approaching your music ed degree as a performance major. You know, you're getting those performance, the education credentials, but you need to put the hours in on the horn. If you're not putting four to six hours a day on the horn, you're going to struggle in a performance degree in the grad school level. I'm just being straight up. It doesn't have to be four to six hours in a row, but if you're not putting in the time, at least two, three sessions of an hour to two hours, uh, you're going to get left in the dust. If you want to really master the craft, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours. I don't know if it's 10,000 or it might be more, but you got to get the, put those FaceTime hours on, trombone FaceTime. That's what it's about. Get those fundamentals. I always talk about you want to raise, you know, we talk about raising the bar, but we got to, we have to raise the bar of our bad days, you know, the, the floor. We're usually focused on the ceiling, but we want to, we also got to focus on the floor, you know, raising the floor a little bit each and every day so that by the time you get to an audition for your master's that you're able to just make it happen. You know, you're, you don't have to worry so much about, will I play these notes right? You know you're going to play the notes right because you've practiced it for so long and so intensely uh, that you can focus on the music making part. Oh, my dad's here. Hi, dad. What advice do you have for auditioning? And I was just saying uh, before you arrived, potentially, Lenny, that we published a couple weeks ago, 10 tips for auditioning. You can find it on YouTube if you want to go deep into um, audition tips. But generally, practice so much that you don't have to worry about playing it wrong because you've already put in all the time. Uh, don't do anything different. Don't deviate from the plan, your normal amount of practicing, your normal warm-up, you know, all of that stuff. Just try to keep it as normal as possible. Remember that it's just one blip on the whole career, your whole life experience, you know. Like for example, one story that I can share that shows that you have a really bad view of yourself. Like we, it's really hard for us to be objective about ourselves. When I auditioned for Juilliard, where I got my master's degree live in person, I thought I did terrible. And I thought it was over. I thought I wasn't gonna get in, there was no chance. I didn't know how I was gonna move to New York, everything was over. And I walked back from 66th Street where Juilliard is. It's on 65th. But all the way my hotel at that time was on 96th Street. And I just like walked through the rain for a mile and a half. That's about how far that is. Uh, and it was March. And it was raining. And it was cold. And I was just like punishing myself. And I thought it was, I did so awfully. And I blew my chance. But it was not accurate. Educators, people doing the auditions can kind of see past what you play in that moment to see the full picture of who you are as a musician. And, and uh, so don't get caught up in the audition. It's just one little data point. Those are kind of the big pictures here. Do you think that improvisation is just a big puzzle of memorized licks or pure creativity? Jazz vocabulary versus freedom. It's neither, because it's both. You have to be free on your instrument to improvise freely, number one. You have to master your instrument. Number two, you have to have context to the music, which means learning vocabulary. So if you're playing a straight ahead tune and you wanna sound straight ahead, you need to have learned that vocabulary. This is just my opinion. You gotta learn the vocabulary. Does that mean you're gonna play exact licks in exact places? Some people teach that way. I don't teach that way. Um, I try to teach concepts rather than licks. So we talk about what's the difference and how do I apply the diminished scale versus the altered scale. How do different people use these tools? I try to teach tools, not licks, because you can learn that way and it can be a great entry point. If someone's really struggling to start to hear the music, I think learning licks and just sticking to the lick-based puzzle approach can be a good place to start. But in the large scheme of things, if you wanna develop an artist, if you wanna develop somebody that has their own musical point of view, you have to have that freedom also. And you have to learn the tools and how to manipulate the notes and the tools in the way that you want. So 
the BAMs. It's both. You have to have the jazz history. You have to have the transcriptions. You have to master the language. And you have to play totally free. And you have to learn the tools. And you have to be able to manipulate the music how you want to hear it. So um, it's both. That's the question that students start to get hung up on to me. As they say, well, I want to be totally free. Or I want to just play like this person or that person. And then you, so you end up with copycats or people that don't know anything. No offense. I'm not saying that that's you. I'm just saying that's kind of, those are the like far extremes, right? And then we have varying degrees of in the middle, but you really need both of the extremes to me. You don't want to, you don't want to be in the middle. You want both. Recommendations for undergrads who didn't get into music school. It's not always a matter of whether or not you're good enough, quote unquote, it has a lot to do with other things and other considerations for the school in general, which is overall numbers, the number of undergrads versus the number of grad students, things to do with things to do with just like enrollment. It has to do with scholarship dollars. It has to do with who else auditions in that year. It's all it's all kind of relative, man. Keep practicing and re-audition again. Keep your options open, you know. If you put all your eggs in one basket and it doesn't work out, it's going to be difficult. But if you can find other, way, other ways, other schools, many schools, you know, you can have a, a wider breadth of um, possibility, you know. When, when a studio like ours is getting more full, you know, at UNT, you know, I, the, the, the bottom is rising, you know, so it's not that you aren't good, but it might just be that the, the, the floor is a little higher than um, where you're at at the moment. So just keep on shedding, man, and uh, audition again and uh, find, <clears throat> find a teacher that can help you uh, along, your, along your journey. So, oh, I see. My dad just posted something here. In all things, there is only one of you. Be you. Be unique. Indeed. Indeed. You have to do you, man. What are your top 10 groups of any style, size, era? Oh, man, I don't know. Duke Ellington's orchestra, any any iteration of his orchestra. Chick Corea's trio from Now He Sings, Now He Sobs. His, the newest trio, which was with Bl Brian Blade and Christian McBride, was a favorite group. J.J. Johnson's various quintets, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Maria Schneider's orchestra, Slide Hampton's World of Trombones. There's many, many. My favorite bass trombonist, favorite bass trombone improvisers. I've been trying to uh, accept jazz bass trombone majors into UNT. Uh, we've got a couple now and try to increase the number of jazz bass trombone per people, you know, because I think that there's not always a focus. I think sometimes they get off the hook without having to improvise, but it's an essential part of being a jazz musician. And I think it's a great instrument to improvise on, just like Barry Sachs. Doug Provience is great. Max Seigel, Reggie Chapman, great improvising bass trombonist too. Jennifer Wharton, great bass trombonist. Uh, Chris Glassman is a young bass trombonist that won our UNT uh, jazz trombone competition in 2019. Jeff Nelson too. I'm a little New York centric. Bill, Bill Reichenbach is also great. What is your advice for someone wanting to go to grad school? Is it better to start at the beginning of the school year or could they start in the spring? At UNT, you can't start in the spring. So start in the fall like every uh, new cohort of students. That would be my um, advice because trying to start in the middle is way too confusing. And at least for us, it's not even an option. So I would guess that most schools it's not an option. If you're improvising over a song you don't know the chords to, say in the key of E flat, do you think of the scale or play by ear or something else? Yes, I use the e, the knowledge of the tunes in E flat to tell me somewhere to start. From there, it's kind of like hearing the changes from there. So the more tunes you learn by ear, meaning sitting at the piano, figuring out the changes, the more you're gonna be able to hear them in the real time. It doesn't have to be in time or out of time at first, but so 
I start with E flat, but then I try to hear the changes because we go one, six. If that six is dominant, you're gonna have an E natural, right? C7 in E flat is gonna have an E natural. So you wanna watch out for that note because it's way outside the key, right? If the pianist plays a strong E natural and you play an E flat, it's gonna clash really hard. Uh, recommendations for transfer students. Remember that if you're a transfer, you're kind of starting over, you know? And in a lot of schools, you have to start over and you kind of be okay with that, that your degree might take longer than you think. You're not gonna be able to just transfer over and like do two years or whatever and be done. You might have, all, all schools have their own curriculums that they want you to go through. Um, different requirements and stuff. And so like if you're trying to transfer in as a junior at UNT, for example, you still have to do the classical requirements for as undergrad. Like you still need to take and pass our upper division exam, which is like the classical jury, essentially. Know that you're gonna be have to be a little bit flexible. Uh, we do take transfers, that's for sure. I do, anyway, but they have to be strong. Do you have any thoughts or observations on dental issues, i.e. overbite, space between front teeth, et cetera? Well, I had braces growing up and so, I've always had a little situation with this tooth right here. I think that there's definitely something to the space between the front teeth, especially with trumpet players. I mean, look at John Faddis. You know, that little space between the teeth allows like kind of a non-natural, unnatural kind of like focusing of the air, you know, that's most of us can do. This is why I always say that every single person, when you're getting embouchure advice, has to take it with a grain of salt because every single person's body is different. Your, the, your mouth shape is different which in turn, of course, is affected by the uh, overbite or space between, the, like the direction the air can move. That's why some people play down, some people play up. Like to me, it's not good to try to fight the natural way that you your air goes, you know? And sometimes like something like marching band can really affect people negatively who have a downstream embouchure, but they're constantly being told to play up, 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 and then they end up with this weird like stuff happening that's not, just not helpful to really developing as a strong player. So um, be careful. Realize that every single person is going to have their own journey with their with their embouchure and whatever direction, if it's going this way, that way, as long as it's not like doing anything that's damaging, I always leave it alone because you want it to be natural. Unless you're having a problem, I don't see why there's any need to kind of change it if it is the natural kind of flow of your uh, embouchure. Your your body will naturally kind of compensate for that overbite and by kind of adjusting the way that the, the trombone will sit on your chops. So I would roll with it and find the most natural way for you to play as opposed to whatever the book says or I say or some guru, mouth, mouthpiece guru or whatever. I'll, I won't say who it was, but there was a time when a mouthpiece person told me, oh, you shouldn't be able to play. Your, your embouchure is all wrong. You shouldn't be able to play. And I was like, what? I was young, I was in high school, and I was just like, I don't understand what he means. Thankfully, <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. So everyone has to find their own way. Your chops are not like my chops. I can give you advice about like, oh, try this, try this, try this, but ultimately you have to decide if it works or not. You have to decide, you have to figure it out. Unless something damaging is happening, I will say that again. I will say, no, 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 stop doing that when it's something that's like damaging, like playing with a lot of pressure or um, switching embouchures. Uh, in the course of like, I have a high range embouchure and I have a low range embouchure. You don't want to have that either. In terms of everything else, I really focus on the airstream. I focus on the sound concept, getting the results rather than focusing too much on um, the exact minutia here because it's not gonna be the same for everybody. If I get braces, will I be bad at trombone? No, the short answer is no. Will you struggle to get play with a good sound for a little while? Yes. 
you know, they have those invisible, the invisible ones, man. And if you can get those ones where they don't put the, the stuff on your teeth, that'll be better for you. It's not going to make you bad at trombone. It might make you have a little bit of trouble with um, making a good sound for a little while. So what I always did is I always had a bumper like a, so I wouldn't get it into the back of my lip. But I never stopped playing. I never stopped getting better with the braces. It's just something you deal with and get past it, man. So no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the braces. Uh, throughout your career, what was the biggest piece of advice anyone has given you? I mean, I can say, I'll tell you two things. One, if I have to think about a turning point of advice, it wasn't really so much advice as it was a philosophical statement. And that was Joe Lovano saying and talking about jazz is not a what, but it is a how. So what does that mean? For so long, we get obsessed with like playing things the right way. And then when I got to grad school, it was more like, all right, how are you going to play this music? Everybody knows the notes. How are you going to play the music? And this has been said by many people in many different ways. But that's kind of like when it hit me, what are you going to do to offer something different to the community, the music community, the mu the jazz community? What what is what do you what legacy are you trying to leave? How are you trying to participate in it? all that kind of stuff. So that kind of switched my mindset. Like, what am I going to do? Not just like, you know, because I, you know, as a longtime student and person who wanted to kind of like excel at school, like I wanted to do the right thing. Well, what am I supposed to play? Oh, let me play that what I'm supposed to play for you. Um, but then having to realize that, yeah, you're supposed to play what you want to play within the context of having it sound like the music, you know? So to me, that just means you have to have a really deep understanding of the music, a deep understanding of your instrument, and then allow yourself the openness and flexibility to uh, explore, to be creative. I've talked about it before, but I try to, I keep this little figment uh, from Disney, like Epcot at Disney, this little purple dinosaur character called figment on my desk as a reminder that, you need to have imagination in what you're doing and that yeah because the, the whole thing is imagination his whole ride at disney world whatever anyway maybe it's cheesy but I, it's just a little reminder a bit to like hey you have to be creative you have to you know make something interesting you know so that's the kind of biggest advice is that like no matter what like yes you have to be a great craftsman you have to be able to play what someone else wants you to play to function on gigs and stuff like you need to read you need to play with a good sound you need to play with the style that's appropriate you need to do xyz you know all of that stuff and i try to get my students into that mindset also doing all that stuff but then on top of that what sets you apart and i know this wasn't a short answer but like they're connected you know like the jazz is a how not a what because everyone says what is jazz is this jazz is that jazz well it doesn't matter really it's like are they making a contribution you know that's kind of what i think about uh, what do you think about horizontal versus vertical arrangement processes which one is the best for creativity slash cohesion in terms of melody voice leading chords i don't think one is better than the other sometimes you need to start horizontal and then change to vertical or you start vertical and then change to horizontal the best parts are written horizontally the best voicings are probably found vertically so it's again another one of these situations where it's both ellington would write both ways thad jones was right both ways sometimes it's about the part sometimes it's about a voicing for me the voice leading is always more important for it's also important if you have time in a chart to go back and say like can the player play this part with passion can they play it with musicality because they might not be able to if it's all jumpy 
you know, or if it's weird sounding. So you want to try to make it as natural as possible. Both are good for creativity. Both are good for voice leading in a certain sense. But ultimately, to get the voice leading really well, you have to have that horizontal approach. Um, that's how you get chords with weird voicings. As an 18-year-old undergraduate astronomy major, if you were in my position, knowing what you know, how would you spend your time? Fundamentals, getting uh, off the real book as soon as possible, learning every single thing by ear. I didn't throw away my real books until I was in grad school, so I was 22, and uh, I would throw them away right now. Learn the music by ear all time at all times. Transcribe every single week. Learn records super deeply, not wide. Find five records you can know front to back, not 10, not all these different solos from all these different things. Like find some records that you're obsessed with, learn all the solos, learn the tunes and uh, go from there. And then figure out who you wanna play with, uh, learn their music. You know, that's something that I haven't done a great job of is actually executing on that advice. So I've tried and I do, and I learn people's music, but to really like learn their music deeply, man. Do you find some older bands sound less tight than today? Do you think it's because of recording quality, a change in playing over the years? I think it's an approach and I think it's uh, an aesthetic. I like messy. I like that sound. I don't like that crispy LA sound. I think it sounds um, overproduced. Do you know any trombone hobbyists? Yes, many of them that are in my virtual studio. For me, a really refreshing interaction to talk to someone who doesn't have trombone as their main focus. Or it is a focus, a main focus, but uh, that it's like part of their life in a positive way rather than we get kind of obsessed with it and sometimes it becomes a negative thing. Not negative thing, but like a like we're working at it all the time, but there are people that can just find joy in the trombone and I'm like, I gotta get back to that. That's what I that's why I got into this. So it's a good reminder. What are some records you make your students listen to? I don't like to make anybody listen to anything. Because if I make you listen to it, you're not gonna listen to it. And you're not gonna hear it, you know? You might hear the notes, but you're not gonna hear it. There are records that I think are good for different things, learning different concepts. I always recommend my favorite records because they're my favorite. JJ in person is my go-to JJ record. There's all kinds of great JJ records, but that was my first one because it was uh, doubled up on a CD with um, the octets, JJ Kai octets. That was like my first jazz trombone CD obsession. So that's the one I recommend because I knew that that worked for me. And so if it works for you, great. But if not, if you like a different one better, that's cool. So and I can give you some different recommendations for specific uh, educational outcomes, perhaps. Do you feel like you're changing your teaching philosophy consistently? What are things you're wanting to improve on as an educator? I do feel like it's changing. How it's changing, I'm not sure always. I go back and forth between wanting to give the students the answers and wanting them to find it for themselves. My biggest philosophy is that I, you have to develop intrinsic motivation in students. And when some of them constantly need extrinsic, meaning me giving them a grade, me being hard on them, me telling them that something wasn't very good uh, or that they need to practice more or whatever ne kind of negative stuff. I find it to be counterproductive to the long-term health of their education. So finding new ways to intrinsically motivate is a constant challenge, especially for people that want and have relied on extrinsic motivation. You know, um, People want accountability, but that's not my job. My job is to make you accountable for yourself uh, as an educator. That's how I feel about it. But yeah, my, my, my teaching philosophy changes. I mean, there's certain things I find I, th I don't feel very flexible on that I think you have to be able to play the trombone first be, to be able to express yourself as an improviser. That I feel very strongly about just because the trombone is hard. And people that want to say that they can't, they can get around that particular item is bothersome to me and I think is uh, short-sighted. And I think that goes for all instruments. 
Um, people that only focus on what to play and not how to play it is a bothersome. But that, but describing it in that way is new for me. Describing it as the how versus the what is is kind of a new development in the things that I talk about or say. So yeah, and things I want to improve on. Yeah, there are things I want to improve on for sure. I want to improve on knowing the exact thing to send someone to to address the exact problem. Um, I need to be better about a balance between direction and this intrinsic motivation because well, here's the thing it's easy just to give somebody hot busy work it's easy to give somebody a list of tunes to learn it's easy to give somebody a list of transcriptions to do and so i don't want to necessarily have a list but at the same time i do want to have a process of being able to help someone get from a to z regardless of what their their goals are you know so it can be a challenge um because you i want anyway my students to be involved in the decision making process about what they're learning but sometimes what they're learn sometimes what they want to learn doesn't necessarily always help what they're looking to get better at uh, a lot of times it does but it's got to be a balance and for me i think sometimes i expect that students have more intrinsic motivation than they have and for me that's uh, a weakness so it's something i'm working on but it's something that i feel really passionately about that i think that's your job as an educator is to inspire that uh, curiosity and to inspire that work ethic and to inspire that deeper look and the things that you think are important. I think like, I mean, I'll tell you if you're using the diminished scale wrong, like, and so like we do talk about that, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. So in my teaching, I also want to be more inclusive of like more, it would come across as maybe avant-garde, but like, like more free, more getting away from the scale theory and note theory and but it's like you can't do it without having learned the rules first. Back when some when the question was asked, like, what was the biggest piece of advice? Maybe on the bandstand, you know, I was going to say this, but then I didn't. But now I'm going to say it because it's it seems appropriate. There was a band leader uh, named Bob Stewart, tuba player, played with Gil Evans, played with Dizzy Gillespie. Great educator, great tubist, very creative musician, played with lots and lots of people. So I got a chance to play in his band for a while. And so whenever we would ask questions, he would never have an answer. Well, he would have an answer, but a lot of times he'd just say, look, I don't know, and just start playing. And, uh, or he would say something like, don't stop, make it happen. That was one of the things he used to say, don't stop, make it happen. And just talking about the music, use your ears, trust your instinct, you know? And so getting into that side of playing, the more, that more, I don't know, 100% musically focused kind of vision. When asked what to practice, JJ said scales, scales, and scales. Do you agree? If so, what scales? Yeah, I mean, JJ practiced more than scales. But I think the, the reasoning behind why he's saying scales, scales, scales is because he's talking about the fundamentals. He's talking about being free to, to play the sounds you hear. So if you don't know your scales, you don't know the sounds. And he's saying scales, but I think he means key centers. He means all the different varieties of scales, all the modes, like all of that stuff is what frees you to improvise freely in a key center, on a chord, using different substitutions. So on, on the one hand, I would say, yes, I agree. But I would also say that it's more than that. And he's using scales as a, as a stand-in for all of the things that we say are scales. It's like, it's a lot of things. It's sounds, it's modes, it's licks, it's all these different things that are, they are scales in their essence. And the better you get at your scales, the more they fall naturally under the slide, which improves your fundamentals, which allows you to f freely express yourself uh, more easily. 
and it connects your ear to the sound more easily and allows you to just be free and creative. Hello, Heart Dance Records. That's my mom. Hi, mom. What's your favorite scale pattern? I don't really like patterns, but I like to practice scales and intervals, or I have been most recently been practicing scales in open position, like, okay, like open position triads, like E, B, G sharp, F sharp, C sharp, A, G sharp, D sharp, B, like taking the middle note of a triad and putting it up an octave. What's up, Demi? Bass, Demetrius, Demi, Demetrius, bass trombone. Here's one of those jazz bass trombone majors that I was talking about. Uh, we're hopeful that he's going to accept his uh, acceptance to UNT soon. Um, so yeah, that's a scale pattern I've been practicing, I guess, but I don't think about it as a pattern. It's just being free. It's just being able to play different things within a key center. When there are days you feel like not practicing, what do you do to keep yourself motivated without practicing the instrument? He likes to listen to film scores. I think it's okay also sometimes to not practice if you are uh, really not feeling it. But there was a long time where that was not a reason not to practice. And I still feel like that is true. You have to put in a time in your life where you're not taking any excuses. You must be obsessed with this thing if you want to dedicate your life to it. And only if that. If you want to play at the highest level, you have to dedicate every single day. You're not going to miss a day. You know, my family hated it. I wouldn't not bring my trombone on vacation. I wouldn't not practice. I would be a bummer because I'm like, no, I have to practice before I'll do this social thing. Um, you have to be obsessed for a while. You know, I didn't miss a day. I definitely took days off, but mostly 95% uh, accuracy to say that I didn't miss a day from 2003 or four to about 2014, you know? Like I hardly ever took a day off from at least playing fundamentals. So I don't think when you don't feel inspired is, is a reason not to practice. Um, so that's number one. That's like showing up for the process, The pr you know, what what's not true, that I didn't take time off. My mom's arguing. I would try to, you know, find a balance between being committed to your vision of like getting better, uh, being committed to your vision of like the process, yeah, I don't know. When I don't feel like practicing now, though, I don't practice, just to be just to be fair. And uh, I think things go. I think things go in in cycles, and that you're gonna have periods where you practice a lot and periods where you don't. But if I wanted to, if you're asking the question of like, what do I do to get inspired to practice? It's just listen to the stuff that inspires me. A friend of mine who teaches at, at Temple now, his name is Joe McDonough. He I, when I would feel like I didn't want to practice when we were at Juilliard together, he would say, man, what are your favorite records? And then you start talking about your favorite records and you get excited. You're like, oh yeah, this, this, this. And then you go and listen to it and you're like, oh yeah, this is why I got into this music. This is why I do this. So that's what I do to get uh, back into wanting to practice more is listening to that. And I listen to my colleagues and the great stuff they're doing. Like um, what's been really inspiring lately is um, trumpet professor at, at UNT, Philip Dizak, he's on the new Shy Maestro recording, and he plays some incredible, incredible stuff on there. And I'm, that inspires me to want to get back onto the practice regimen. Ah, I see. My mom's clarifying. She says, we did not hate that you brought your trombone on vacation. That's very kind. I'm sure there was a little bit of me of being annoyed. 
uh, June 14 through 18, we have our second edition of the Jazz Trombone Bootcamp. If you want to sign up for that, go to my store, nickfinzer.store, and you can find it. But yeah, so that's happening. The, the bootcamp's happening. And looking forward to welcoming some new people into our studio. Some of them are here on the stream. What is your favorite jazz composition that I wrote uh, in the last couple years mm, of my tunes? Only this, only now. That tune I like still. Thank you to everyone for tuning in today. I hope everyone has a wonderful Friday and a wonderful weekend. We will catch you next week. And until then, uh, take care and we'll see you later.